What up, my Hanyaks? Welcome back to the Rambling Viking Podcast. I've got a very special episode for you today. Turns out it worked out. So as the title indicates, this is a brotherly discussion between me and my brother. And it's a, around a hard topic. We're dealing with communion, a situation I heard about where someone who was in an openly gay relationship was denied receiving communion at a church and they since left that church. And it brought up a good question of where where's the line? What's the, let's talk about that. Cause I was like, I actually don't know what to think about that. So, uh, I, I brought it up randomly in an episode to be fun to discuss my brother, Brett, who we've been talking about doing a kind of casual debate discussion, almost like a family feud a little bit. Um, and this, and he said, Hey, I, let's do this topic. So this was our kind of trial run. It's a bit long, but stick with me because it's a good fruitful discussion. Yeah, we get on tangents and it gets a little intense um, at just in a couple moments, but it's good, right? And at the end of the day, even though we're, if we're not in person, um, we, we, we ended the call very nicely and we still remain brothers. We love each other. And that's really the crux of the issue is A, being able to discuss hard issues, but especially with family. Everyone fears the Thanksgiving table. And this is an idea for a series I have for me and him to go and not only show healthy debate and discussion and what that looks like, but specifically under the context of family members. So you, so to maybe help people navigate and learn how to, at Thanksgiving, family holidays, be able to discuss those issues with your family members who might disagree. Like we disagree. We fall on kind of um, different sides of a lot of issues, and um, but we manage to still sit down and have a nice dinner and, and enjoy being around each other. And we don't hate each other by any means. We disagree, but we don't hate each other and that it is possible to do that. And I think this is a good example of what a good, healthy discussion looks like where we don't really give any hard conclusions either. That's another thing. Everyone wants to be, you know, we live in a day and age where you have to know exactly where you stand on every single issue and it's okay to not know and not be certain. Uh, and, and, and that's kind of what we show here is we talk through the issues and it's good and healthy to be able to try and look at it from the other side. But um, basically we sat down, we talked about this to, you know, should you allow them communion? Should you deny them communion? What's the right answer for an openly homosexual person, LGBTQ person? What is the appropriate response from a church perspective? And we go to the Bible for that. And we go to a lot of reason and logic as well and work through all the different ins and outs of the arguments. It's a great discussion. No, needless to say, I loved it. I, I think he had a great time. We're maybe looking forward to doing more in the future, but it's long enough, so you don't need a huge intro from me, so I'll leave it at that. Thank you so much for tuning in. Strap in. It's a good one, and it's a good, healthy debate and what that actually looks like. So without further ado, here is me and my oldest brother, Brett, discussing LGBTQ church members and, commun and receiving communion. All right, here we are. I've got Brett with me. And um, we are excited to jump into this discussion. First time trying this. So um, basically, I've covered everything I need to cover in the intro so you guys know what's about to happen. Let's set our terms, make sure we're clear on that. So we're specifically going to be discussing um, communion and homosexual Christians. Uh, in short, I had a discussion once upon a time about a friend who knew of someone who was denied communion because they were in a, they were in a homosexual relationship. and that brought up this thought and this discussion. I had a very quick one at the time with the person I was talking with, but then I thought, man, this would be a cool discussion to dive into. I think there are these type of discussions, um, not just within Christianity, but in life that are interesting that don't necessarily 
come to a hard conclusion and we're more exploring this and exploring the arguments. Um, I don't have a plan. I don't think Brett does either to really fall into, you know, mess necessarily good hardline solutions. So if that's what you're looking for, this might be the wrong podcast, but um, Brett, thanks for being on. Um, yeah, we'll just basically what we're going to do here is um, I'll, I've got my top two arguments, both for and against, and I'll briefly summarize those. Brett will summarize his, and then we'll start talking about the arguments, go through the, the force the, the for allowing communion and then for denying communion. One important note that we may uh, distinction, at least for me in discussion in discussing this, that I think is important to note. And I've brought it up on the podcast before is that I'm not necessarily harping on, there's a distinction and they may, there may be some overlap, but for me, there's a distinction and I'm more harping on the standpoint of someone who is, we'll say openly gay, right. In the sense of maybe they're in a, in a relationship or, but they're, they're expressing that homosexuality versus someone who maybe is in a situation where they are same sex attracted, but there is no action falling out. And, and that's more of an internal struggle. And so for me, I'm more on the, um, the open expression side of things than that, but that also may be a discussion we get into later. We don't have any set time necessarily. So we want to be able to explore these ideas completely. All right. So I'll kick this off. Um, I'll start with the argument for denying uh, communion to say, we'll say an op open or practicing homosexual. Okay. Person. Um, we'll start, we'll start there then. That sounds yeah. good. So for me, it's, um, it comes back to the essential premise in Christianity that it starts with that when you look through the Bible, you see um, that homosexuality is a sin. And I mean that in the sense of practicing, not in being, because there's this weird interplay now with identity, and we're not going to get into that. And then on top of that, there is so, but, we, but at the same time, we all acknowledge we are sinful, and that's clear in the Bible. But there's an important distinction between repentant and unrepentant sin. A follower of Christ is someone who is repentant in their sin, meaning I know I'm going to sin. I know I'm going to fall prey to whatever sin I struggle with, and um, but I'm going to repent of my sins in pursuit of Christ. And those are kind of the two, the two keys for communion are first and foremost, it is for those who are in Christ, meaning the followers of Christ, the Christians, because it's a ritual done um, where we remember the shedding, the breaking of his body and the shedding of his blood for our sins. And so it's a time where we reflect on that and ultimately reflect on our need for him and our sinfulness. And so that's the first part. And the second part would be that repentant side. So we're, we, are, we are living in repentance, not saying we're perfect or free from sin in the sense we don't sin, but we are repentant. And so for me, um, knowing those two keys and how those play into communion, I can the argument for denying someone communion is say, if you are an out and open uh, homosexual, someone who is practicing that in a, in a relationship or exploring that side of yourself, then... Um, you are living in, you would be living in an unrepentant sin. I'm not saying that you can't claim Christ, that you can't say, hey, I'm a follower of Christ because, but um, by the fruit that comes out of you, meaning living in this uh, unrepentant sin, you, I can then see grounds for say church saying, look, you can't participate in communion because part of this is an essential part, not just of communion, but of the faith at large. And then that would be grounds for questioning someone's faith because while it's not by works, it is by faith. And then we know that from that faith comes certain fruits and that we should be pursuing to be to living in line with the teachings of the Bible, which homosexuality is not. So that's my 
argument for uh, the best argument that I've found kind of from my brief research of, say, denying someone communion. This is an outward expression of, of, of living our repentant life and remembering Jesus's sacrifice. And there's a fun, there's a key part to that person not living that way. So that's my argument for Brett. Do you want to give the best one or sorry for, uh, for, for communion denial? Um, do you want yeah, to go ahead? Denial. Let's uh, I'm going to like, here's just a, I think maybe we should, I don't know. We can, we can talk a little bit about this. Um, yeah, let's do So that. you, you, you mentioned a couple of things just in your little argument. It seems like mm-hmm. you got like, uh, you know, two basic tiers or, or, or uh, not tiers, maybe pillars mm-hmm. in this argument, two basic, you know, ideas that are propping it up. One is that like uh, the Bible has explicit prohibitions against homosexuality. And there are, there are mm-hmm. very explicit uh, prohibitions against homosexual sex acts in the Bible. Um, right. Uh, I mean, the most, the most common, everybody knows like Leviticus, Leviticus mm-hmm. it's in the holiness code and like Leviticus is 18, like, just totally, totally says it right there. Um, and that's, I mean, that's Torah. Like the, Genesis 19, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah is not about the, the homosexual sex acts. It is not just not about that. Like mm-hmm. that is not every, I mean, it's pretty widely accepted that um, even, even later in, in the Old Testament, it, that, that, that destruction especially in the prophets is seen as like a, as um, punishment for being a decadent, sinful and inhospitable place, a place that doesn't care about the strangers, doesn't care about hospitality laws or mores. It's, you know, it, it, it has more to do with, with, <laughs> um, with being xenophobic as it were, than it does about like, um, you know, the the people of Sodom wanting to it's not like God said angles said yes. hey they're gay it's like hey this is just debauchery you are complete everything you do is completely against everything well and I'm the about. angels mm. the angels didn't go to Sodom and Gomorrah because of the sodomy they yeah. I mean it very clearly would have said that mm-hmm. angels show up to go find like if there are any righteous people there remember because yeah. Abraham has this whole discussion with God and he says if you can even find, if you can find a hundred, will you save the town? If you can find 50, will you save the town? It goes down. And basically the angels are there to go look and see if there's enough people to save the town or they're there to wreck it, Ralph. You know what I mean? Yep. And so that story, I think it, it is the easiest one you point to is like saying, oh, well, this is totally against homosexuality. We forget that at the end of Genesis and like at the end of that story, Genesis 19, that Lot ends up getting intoxicated. His daughters get him drunk. And then they both have sex with their father to produce children because mm-hmm. they think the world has been destroyed. And so it ends with incest. And the Torah is also explicitly against that kind of incest. Like, right. You know, it, it, and so I can't, I, I, I would find it difficult to say that we could condemn the homosexual sex acts, but permit the incest, both of which are later condemned in Leviticus. So I think that one's easy to write off as not a deal. But you do have to 
deal with some of the like Pauline texts about homosexuality? So I've Paul, got a short and, list here. I actually I compiled a short are, list. There Romans, are three major ones. Yeah, Romans, Romans one, First Corinthians, Corinthians six, and and, and then. And then, well, I found one too in Mark 10. Let me pull that up to make sure. But yeah, those are the ones. Mark those are the ones. 10? Mm-hmm. What is the Mark and what is the Mark and let me uh, see. I saved it. So I do not believe you. Okay. Is that about the centurion's son, uh, boy? Um, let's see. What? Mark 10, 6, right? I, I think so. Oh, this one. Oh, no. So this one. Sorry. Oh, geez. We got. All right. Um, this one is more about. This one goes. This one is in an explicit co- condemnation. Um, I, I put this in a weird category. This one is uh, God made the male and female. And uh, it's quoting from Genesis when he explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. Oh, so it'd, be, it'd, Jesus, it'd be more. It'd be it'd be from the standpoint of saying like. This it's, is what the normal marriage this, is. Or the, and, or, and this is what God designed, right? So. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I can, I mean, in, in a tangential way, I don't think that's a direct, that's not a direct no, not reference a direct, necessarily no. to like homosexuality. It's for sure. I mean, it's talking about marriage. And uh, I mean, well, we can we can go to there. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of biblical passages mm-hmm. about marriage, um, but like the Romans text for sure condemns um, homosexual acts, and that's very much seen as a perversion of the natural order, um, at least in Paul's eyes, because that's in the whole section where Paul is trying to talk about natural law, essentially the created natural order that everyone can see. And everyone sees works a certain way, and that becomes the evidence for, um, for, for God, for Paul specifically. Um, you know, you can look at you can look at creation and know that there's a God. And you know, he, there's a, a passage that's um, the, God has written the law on their hearts. You know, because like they just already inherently know that this is fine. That's a very natural naturalistic argument against homosexuality. Um, the the Corinthians one and is 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 a little tricky because it's definitely a lot of First Corinthians is devoted specifically to telling the church in Corinth to be separate from the like Greco Roman um, culture that surrounds them. Like you know. There's a bunch of stuff in, in, in 1 Corinthians about communion as well in chapter 11. Like well, that's about, really the, the main verse. It's kind of the only yeah. pa- passage and, that explicitly talks about it. Yeah. And it's, and I mean, in Timothy and Corinthians, they're, they're like, that's one of the acts that's in a, a vice list. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like when you and you, Paul is saying, don't do this. And he's getting rhetorical. And it's, you know, it's, it's one of several behaviors that are in this vicious list that you shouldn't do like don't be licentious don't be lascivious don't be you know lewd don't be crude you know like it's one of these things where you're just going to list a bunch of things to illustrate a point the larger point is you got to be acting right you got to be separating yourself from you got to leave those old greek rituals you know like 
that's a big part of first Corinthians is you can't go to the sacrifice at Athena's temple and then come to church. Yeah. That's a big part of one Corinthians. And it's a big part of everything for Paul because, you know, Paul, like his life was radically changed and there was a very specific line between when he was joined the church and when he was just a Pharisee persecuting the church. So he's encouraging those people that they have to, you have to take positive steps to like be different than the way that things used to be. You are a new creation. You have to act like a new creation. You have to be separate from like the Greek culture that's around. You can't be doing all this other stuff. Don't get drunk. You can't like, that's not okay. That might've been okay before. That's not okay now. Like even in first Corinthians two, Paul explicitly advocates against all the ideal being no one has any sex. I don't know if you remember that specifically. Mm -hmm. That's in like one Corinthians, like seven Mm -hmm. um, where he's like, Hey, I would, I'm not married. I hope that everyone could be abstinent, completely celibate like me. Um, That's clearly the best way to be because then you don't have any, um, you know, sexual desires blocking your spiritual pursuit. But he says, but if you can't do that, you should get married. And if you can get married, you should probably choose someone in the group. Don't choose a heathen. If you're already married to someone and they're not convert, don't get divorced. That's not a reason to get divorced. You're not going to help them get to heaven by divorcing them. That's the nuts and bolts of what he says in 1 Corinthians. So, I mean, the 1 Corinthians text, I think, can be, can be, can be taken to be, yeah, like in Greek culture, there's a very specific practice. We know this. It's documented. It's very clear. There's a very specific practice of older men having sexual relations with young adult boys. And it, I mean, it's, they're not technically boys. They're like young adults in the Greek culture. But I mean, that's, that's very, and Paul's not cool with that. Same in first right. Timothy, like he's not cool with pederasty. And that's what he, that's what, that's the term that, that is used. I mean, with that being very explicit and in the new Testament, I think that it's hard to make a convincing case that, that the Bible is just cool with homosexuality. You know what I mean? Like it's mm-hmm. not, it's not. So um, I, I think that you have to, you ha- almost have to accept that. Like it, depending on the mental gymnastics you want to do, you know, there are some significant differences between the current LGBTQ culture that we see in our modern society or current society. And even the most like permissive and licentious um, like Athenian and uh, Roman societies. Like, I mean, there were lots of things that were totally fine for them to do. Like you could have relationships with men, you could have relationships with women, women could have relationships with other women. They had, you know, Dionysian um, orgies. Like there was a lot of permissive behavior, but there wasn't a lot of like lifestyle things in mm-hmm. like that still wasn't cool in the ancient world at all so i i mean i think that there may be something to the fact that like that we're talking about apples and oranges a little bit like maybe the bible doesn't directly address it because it didn't exist at the time and the only thing that did exist was maybe predatory relationships like we see in schools sometimes with teachers or like the Catholic church has a hard time dealing with, with priests where you have like older, um, older adults 
um, using their age, wealth, power, position, etc., to cultivate, groom, and then capitalize on like younger partners. And it is very much predatory. Like, I mean, that we would call it predatory today. We do call it predatory today. It's not okay. And in some sense, I think that there's a compelling argument to just to talk a little bit about that, just to say, yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe Paul was maybe more talking about we shouldn't be as blase about like, you know, the Southern Baptist, like, sexual scandals that just broke or any of the mm -hmm. Catholic sexual scandals or any of those weird cult behaviors like down at Waco, like that where the, or the FLDS church where you have child brides and like polygamy and, or like really predatory things. That's not, that's not what that's explicitly prohibited, but like it, it may be different. I don't know if you can, you can get to there. I think from a certain like biblical hermeneutic, where mm -hmm. you're trying to read at like the spirit of the text more than the the plain verbiage of the text but i mean the simplest and most direct reading of these passages is clearly anti-homosexuality which is fine yeah um all right the, uh, another thing that you, you just mentioned when you were talking about communion is like the purpose of the communion ritual which i think introducing the idea of the communion ritual and the terms a little bit maybe we just start there <laughs> I, I realize i'm not really critiquing much of your argument um but uh like you know the first communion was at the last supper and it was a symbolic ritual that jesus is using as a teachable moment to um create a ritual that his followers can do to remember the the event the major event which you know, if you're talking about fundamentals of Christianity, you don't have, you don't have the crucifixion. You don't have anything. You know what I mean? Like you don't have, like it's, there's nothing there. There's no there there. Um, it's not an exclusionary dinner, um, which I find interesting. And when I say that is, I mean that the ritual, at least when commanded from Jesus is do this in remembrance of me. This is my blood. This is my body you know, share the food and remember what I did. Like, um, and he doesn't, he doesn't exclude Judas Iscariot, who he knows is going to betray him. In fact, he knows he's going to betray him and he outs the betrayer after they all break the bread and do the communion, outs the traitor and says, one of y'all that's eaten here is the one of the one that's going to betray me. And Jesus still took communion with him. Um, Peter is going to be the denier that's going to, you know, explicitly in fear and terror, deny that he even knows Jesus. A thing that, you know, uh, both like John makes the biggest deal about it, but uh, the other gospels still make a big deal about it. like Peter denies Jesus three times. In John's gospel, Jesus at the very end of it, after the resurrection, has Peter say, I love you three times to undo the denying. I mean, that's, that's a thing that happened. The communion wasn't necessarily an exclusionary um, ritual. It was a ritual meant for everybody getting together, doing the ritual, remembering Christ's sacrifice, and you take it because you're part of the group, not necessarily 
because you're pristine, if that makes sense. Um, now, I mean, there's theology built on top of that after, after the Last Supper. Like, you know, the Acts 2 reference to the communion ritual is basically that every day, all this early church people were just getting together, hanging out together all the time, um, preaching and practicing the teachings of Jesus, living communally, and they were breaking bread together. That's, I, I think that, it, that that is an explicit reference that they were doing active communion rituals every day. At every meeting they did, every time they ate, they ate food together was a time to that whatever food they were eating was the communion ritual. It was, no, and it's been formalized and evolved. Um, it's only later that Paul starts giving instructions about like how to do communion or, you know, Hey, we should, we should do, we should do communion this way, you know, these things like that. Or, uh, I mean, it's still there. It's still in the new Testament. Um, Paul's not super psyched on, on, on people halfway doing Christianity. And I think that's the big, the big deal is he, he, he is very, very, very much concerned with people being um, humble before God, being penitent, um, you know, trying, trying to, to, to follow the teachings and not, you know, still like, like we were talking earlier, he wants to see people when they're, participating in church activities living the change that they have undergone and i don't think that's necessarily a denial of hey man if you told a lie today you can't take communion you know what i mean if you are a, a tax collector and you know screwing people over you can't take communion that's 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 not necessarily the the thing that it works i would say that maybe baptism might be something like that baptism is you know another ritual that is like an outward expression of like the inward change that you've made based on the 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 ritual death of jesus as a sacrifice for sins um but i mean there's not a lot of language giving like technical rules for eligibility for communion in the bible right i mean those are built afterwards. I mean, that's why the Catholic Church is a very rigid, rigid eligibility requirements for communion. You have to go to confirmation. You have to have been baptized. You have to, um, like, your first communion is an explicit ritual that is made that is like later, like in life. It's not early in life. Like those things are added later, but those aren't in the original text. So, like saying. If we like, I think we just need to make decisions. Like, how free are we going to be with what is required in what is required textual instruction, and what is us running with the gist or the intent of what is there in the scripture, and trying to live according to those kind of principles and standards the best we can based on our the understanding of the broad strokes teachings that are there, right? Um. Those are those are my two thoughts on the the argument that that you presented mm -hmm. there against giving communion. The argument that I find the most convincing is actually pretty much the same. Yeah. What it is is 
the Bible is very explicitly against homosexuality. So, or homosexual acts. Maybe homosexuality is not addressed in the Bible specifically, but certainly against homosexual acts. And I mean, based on that alone, like I think that pretty much any church, if they wanted to, would have biblical justification for denying um, uh, LGBTQ plus members um, or LGBTQ plus visitors if they're from another church and they're members of that other church from receiving communion. Mm-hmm. I think that that is by far the clearest and best argument against offering communion to those people. Um, okay. That's, I mean, I, I think we're on the same page. I mean, yeah, <laughs> no, I really, I really would agree with you. It's kind of awkward sometimes when you're, when you're both like, no, that's kind of where I stand. Right. Um, well, so I think that was well put and kind of walking you walking through um, each of those points that I made. So let's flip it to you then. And let's hear, okay. let's switch sides and say, let's, let's okay. jump on the side of why we should, why we shouldn't deny them or why we should allow, you know, everyone communion. You kind of hinted at that with Peter and Judas, but I'll let you take the reins then and, and give me what the most sure. compelling argument is from your standpoint for that. And then I'll kind of rebut best I can. And then we can work yeah. through, I've got some additional kind of questions that, that just kind of tie in, I think, to both points. And we can kind of walk through those because uh, devil's in the details, as always. And so, and it's kind of into the weeds. Uh-huh. Not too oh, much. yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, um, hold on just a second. Uh, I'm typing something. I've got a notepad open. Um, me too. <laughs> just to help me kind of like take notes and stuff. Um, I'm like just, I'm typing kind of what I just said because that, came to me while I was talking about that point, just so I can reference it later. Okay. Um, All right. On the pro-communion side, on the pro-offering communion side, this is kind of the way that I see it. It's kind of like the result of a couple of different main ideas. And the first thing that, that you have to do is just we can just, we already had the kind of the full discussion about the explicit biblical passages relating to homosexuality um, or relating to homosexual acts in the, in the Bible, you just kind of have to set those aside if you're going to offer communion and you're going to have to look past the very, let's, let's be honest, relatively few biblical passages related to any of this and look towards maybe the more general ideas around Christianity and how the the church community works. Um, Just for simple context, I mean, uh, the Bible is very clear. Like Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I mean, like, come on, we've all heard that passage. The Bible is very explicit that every person is a a sinner, full-blown sinner, and God does not care what particular kind you are. So, that being said, everyone is flawed, everyone is fallen, everyone needs the redemption. So, bullying one particular group, especially when, like we've already talked about, the like alternative sexual lifestyles weren't necessarily, uh, you know, a part of Bronze Age life, 
or Iron Age life uh, in the Roman Empire, like uh, as it is today. It's an apples and oranges thing, so it's a little different. So um, we're going to have to ignore that, and that's okay. We're all sinners. Everyone taking communion is already a sinner. Everyone taking communion probably has committed some sins, you know, uh, that day. Let's be real. Um, the That being said, like, the point of the communion is the community ritual. It brings the church together. It's a shared activity that is not focused on the members taking communion. It is focused on the sacrifice of Jesus for which the communion is a symbol. So, I mean, like I said before, Jesus took, had that last supper with all of his disciples and maybe some other people. We're not exactly sure. We know for sure that the disciples were there because they're explicitly mentioned, but like, it's a private deal. Like, he knew that they were gonna, those people were going to not do the right things when, you know, the Gethsemane event happens and all the, like, you know, people did wrong things, morally blameworthy things. Peter cut off a servant's ear. He was violent. He was, that's, I mean, and Jesus was, was somewhat, you know, nonviolent in his approach. Um, and they still all get communion. So I don't know why you would start denying one particular group that communion. Um, also, I don't think it's enough to say that um, you're only going to deny communion to practicing um, LGBTQ people or open LGBTQ people. Like, oh, they're open, they're practicing, they're flouting you know, these sin standards. So er ergo, they are ineligible. Um, I mean, if we go, I, I mean, you can go back to Jesus and there's like, Jesus explicitly does not draw distinctions between um, behavior and intent for behavior. I'm thinking specifically of the passage where Jesus condemns adultery. And that's, that's a very, that's a sexual sin. It's a close analog. You commit adultery, you're a sinner, you can't do that. But if you look upon a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed the adultery in your heart, you're just the same as the guy that did the adultery. So if we're penal, like, I mean, Jesus is clear. He's like, thought crimes are the same as actually committing the crimes. Now, he encourages people to cut off their hand, gouge out their eye, et cetera, et cetera. And I mean, that's going to, I mean, that's an option. But like, there's, there's precedent for not drawing that distinction, at least explicitly, um, which is, I think, may, maybe the big escape hatch that a lot of churches take when they want to deny communion, but they don't want to be seen as bigoted, maybe. They're saying, like, we're not, we're not against those people, we're against the sin, right? Like, you hate the sinner, you love, you love the sinner, you hate the sin, right? Like that idea and i just don't think that you're going to have the horses for that um and you're going to have to be real that there are more passages in the new testament explicitly condoning slavery which we all don't think is okay right now explicitly condoning slavery um there are more passages about that than there are about like alternative sexuality in the bible and 
at some point you're 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 kind of going down the buffet of Christianity here, reading your Bible, and you're picking the things that you think are relevant for your life. And uh, I mean, I don't know if that's necessarily consistent with um, a hard textualist in like fundamentalist approach to to scripture. Um, it's 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 a way that you can go. I mean, I think that that there are many biblical passages that are not meant to be taken literally. They're metaphorical. There's much of it that is mythological in tone, like especially the early Genesis stuff, like creation stories and like some of the heroic feats. And there's explanation, there are etiology stories that explain why a thing was done. Like, oh, this is why we have rainbows now because of the flood and that's a sign and all the stuff. Like, I mean that's a bit mythological. I mean, you can think what you want to think about the literalism of some of the stories in the old Testament, but like you, you have to understand that we are, you're already doing the buffet Christian. You're already at the buffet picking and choosing because as soon as you want to be Christian and still think that slavery is bad, then you're kind of caught between the horns of this dilemma here where you're either choosing to willfully ignore certain parts of the Bible and you know, really care about these very specific passages. I mean, all of Leviticus holiness code is random rules, very specific for a certain people group, maybe even at a certain time. Yeah. Um, so, I, I mean, I think that in lieu of that, when you have these all these problems with finding good justifications to have a consistent theology, to have um, you know, uh, to practice maybe the broad strokes message of Jesus, love others, you know what I mean? Love God, love others. I mean, that's the basics, right? Like that's all of the law is summed up in those two things, according to Jesus. And you're there. And so is it more loving to be really hard and rudimentary? Is it, or is the loving thing to do to understand these people understand and accept them um i mean jesus hung out prostitutes tax collectors the dregs he wasn't trying to be the best at being a jew he was doing something different and he was he knew that god's message was for more than just this more than just that it was a broader message and he was revolutionary in his interpretation so i think that i mean communion doesn't have a lot of good eligibility requirements in the in the New Testament. It was originally meant as a, a as a fellowship ritual to unify the early church and to be focused on Christ, not on the person that was there. And on top of that, it's just I mean, acknowledging that that life is complicated. And um, I mean, if if God created everybody and you can't control your urges. They come to you because they're part of your biology. I don't know that, like, I don't know that you could not say that some of these people weren't at least born or created by God, you know, with these features of their um, identity and personality. Um, and Jesus is very explicit in Mark 7 by saying, nothing that God has made is bad for you. Nothing that God has made is unclean. That passage is specifically about like hand washing and eating food and kosher laws. 
immediately after that, in Mark 7, the next anecdote is about the Syrophoenician woman, where Mark illustrates, the author of Mark, not Mark, because Mark didn't write it, but the author of Mark explicitly illustrates that, that Jesus is for everyone, and there is no unclean person. When a foreigner, um, a goyim, one of the goyim, comes to rudely ask Jesus for some help with her son, and Jesus says, I mean, yeah, go in peace. Your son's healed. Now they have a little argument, and that is the only character that I think beats Jesus in an argument, a straight argument, is that woman, which I find fascinating. But um, that's a direct illustration that, like, you know, traditional thought would hold that person as less than, would otherwise that person would say that they are non-Jewish, they're not as good or, or whatever. And Jesus is turning that over. He's no, it's a child of God right there. And no, no thing that child that God has made is bad for you. No thing is unclean. You can eat whatever you want. You can hang out with whoever you want. You can, there's no reason to be racist, xenophobic, um, ritual, like uh, legalistic in your interpretation of the rules. This is about loving God and loving other people. Um, I mean, and I think that that's reinforced in other stories too. You know, the Good Samaritan reinforces that idea. Like, I mean, this is a common theme in, in Jesus' teaching. So I think that from that point of view, you almost, you're almost obligated to offer communion to LGBTQ plus members. Is, I mean, it is less Christian to deny them communion based on that than, you know, let, all right, let's go through, let's go through, let's go through the list. Every member lineup needs to like get right with Jesus right now and be like super up in front of the church about confessing all of their super dark personal sins. Then you get communion. That's, I mean, and that's untenable. That's not what that's about either. Your relationship with God is about your relationship with God. I mean, you know if you're right with God. And that's, I mean, Jesus advocates for that too. I mean, you're recording in a closet right now. That's where Jesus wants you to go pray. When Jesus asks you to fast, he says, keep it a secret. Don't be bragging about it. Your relationship is, with God is between you and God. And it's not, and the church is there as support. The church is there as uh, a, a force in the world, a force, uh, like a new force of nature on the earth to help revolutionize and create the kingdom of God and like be this force for good and not a force for hate, not a force for uh, divisiveness, not a force for that. It should be a welcoming place. Like Jesus is a very welcoming person. Like he saves the prostitute from a stoning. Like, and by using Christianity to um, proverbially cast stones at LGBTQ plus members, we are being the Pharisees that Jesus denied. That is the most compelling argument that I could muster, like just from my own thoughts and a little bit by, by staying a little bit detached from the, from the textualist approach, the what does the text literally say, and you know, turn my brain on. I'm not a knuckle dragon Neanderthal here. I'm, my brain has faults in it. I'm not a smooth brain that can't think. I mean, we're all should be looking to do the best we can, and we can make sure that we are understanding the real message of Christianity, the real purpose of communion, the real purpose of fellowship, and uh, try and accomplish the real goals of the church, not quibble about who gets to eat crackers and drink either wine or grape juice.
anyway, so in a nutshell, that's I think uh, I think maybe one of the best, the better versions of the yeah. If you're because oh, LGBTQ Christians exist, they they do. Whether the church wants them to exist or not, we said or not, they already exist. They're here. Those people say they're Christian. Those people want to be part of the church. Those people are trying to live as best they can to follow the basic principles that Jesus set out, love God, love others. And it's not our place to judge them and deny them. It is our place to help them. It is our place to help them feel a part of the group, be inclusive, and, and, and you know, like the, the flock is different. Sometimes there, you know, are spotted sheep and brown sheep and white sheep and like I mean, there's all different kinds of there's bighorn sheep and you know merino wool, whatever kind of sheep those those that make that. I mean, there's all different kinds and mm-hmm. I mean, and not to pile too much on, but like uh, the last thing I'll say is the Bible is not always the best scientific resource. <laughs> Um, because it's an ancient document and because there is a more rudimentary understanding of the world by the people that, that wrote those things down and were reading them and maybe also the people that some of those books were written for, there's a more limited understanding. I mean, we already know that there are, there are multiple um, genetic expressions of biological sex there's not just two the bible sure says there's just two god made the man and 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 woman male and female but genetically there's more than that i mean you have uh trisomies in your x and y chromosomes like xxy xxo that can result in intersex individuals what do you do with that they're not that i mean how do you are they just set up to fail like i mean like I mean, that's that's a an edge case where we have to move beyond what the Bible says to use better principles to, I don't know, yeah, be a little bit buffet Christian and say, we're gonna ignore this for now and we're gonna try and live out the principles the best we can. And can be that can be an uh, uh okay. I mean, I don't know. Right. That's that's kind of that's kind of the best the best version of the argument that I can muster. Okay. Well, uh, I'll just go ahead and spoil the surprise and say that's more or less what I said. Um, what I found in my same argument was the, the key tenets were, um, you know, that, that's personal and we're not here to make those hard divides. Um, my objections, though, to the, generally that side of the argument is there yeah. is, while, while I agree with that we shouldn't be necessarily rejecting people out of the church and being, and, and specifically when we look at mm-hmm. it, we're like, Gay people not allowed because um, we know very clearly that, you know, that gay person isn't isn't any better than, you know, the guy who likes to look lustfully at women like it's the same. You know, he is just as fallen. Mm -hmm. But um, the important key factor is that we can't we have to establish some reasonable boundaries in the sense of that we don't just say everyone's welcome to church and you can live how you want. There is a specific call that you need that your life will change and that you were called to live a different lifestyle according to the Bible. And we also know, too, that part of the community of church and 
the, the in the in the sense of just other believers the body of believers is that while our faith is just as much private it is also communal in the sense we are part of this community because um, or in order to help us grow in our personal relationship, grow in our communal relationship, but to also rebuke us when we are wrong, because we do get caught up in 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 ways for justifying. Um, we get caught up in justifying certain actions, ways of living, because we want those to be right, because we want to do them. When in actuality, um, you know, it's we're, we're we're intentionally blind to something, and so for me. Um, the the objection or, or sorry the objection to this argument I should say I shouldn't say for me because we've established I don't have a clear decision either way um, we're just mm-hmm. exploring the arguments but looking at that argument that's that's kind of my main and only object my biggest objection is that where where's the line right because in the sense okay. of looking at this is it's like I. And, and it's tough to get into hypotheticals because it gets so specific and it's like, well, what about this person? What about that person? Well, no, no, and, but I think, I think those thought experiments yeah, can be but, illustrative, but, but let's, let's say this, right. Let's say someone who is, who, who is, uh, and, um, let's say you have a, a gay man who's in a gay relationship. <laughs> I'm saying gay too much. Anyways, um, you, you have a gay man in a relationship with another man and he goes to your church and he's part of the church and, mm-hmm. um, and, and then even wants to maybe help and volunteer in the church, but is very also active on, say, the LGBTQ community. And, you know, yeah. it organizes the pride parade is in the pride parade. There's a okay. there's a rub there where, like we talked about earlier, where scripture takes issue with certain homosexual lifestyles and and it, it would warrant it would warrant someone in the church, whether it's leadership, whether it's other members, um, whoever to, to confront that person and say, I don't think you're living biblically. Right. And part of that is for me, it comes back to part of that is you would, you would acknowledge and tell them, say, I don't doubt that you profess Christ as your leader, but here's, here's what happens when you profess Christ. Here's how your life changes. Here's, you know, here's how you follow Christ. And part of that is repentance. And we see you're living in unrepentance. And so my biggest objection to that argument is that it's a little too laissez-faire in some sense, or can be interpreted that way. And because we just say, well, everyone well, come on, everyone, everyone can come in. And, uh, you know, you're, we all understand we're coming from different places. And so you're living your life. We're here to spread mm-hmm. Jesus love. And I would then even argue that love isn't always a one-to-one with acceptance, meaning love, love isn't always just me saying you're okay, how you are, you're great, you know, and just, and just being, how do I say this encouraging, right? Sometimes love can be a little bit harsh. No, there's sometimes tough, love, there's tough love. There's sometimes, tough love. You got- sometimes love can be truth, you know, and, and a loving yeah. thing to do for a friend is if you, if you see, you have a friend and you say, and you see, you know, say they have a problem with whatever vice and, and it's becoming a serious problem. And you're like, this is going to wreck your life, maybe wreck relationships you have with your family, spouse, whoever. And the loving thing to do is to confront them and try and show them that like, hey, you're being destructive. You need to be better. And so, okay. the, and and this kind of goes a little bit away from the communion standpoint, but from the church standpoint of saying like communion is the believers getting to getting together, eating in remembrance of him. Um, and, but then you have people who very outwardly so, because that's the other trip up with this. It's so outward or it can be so outward that it's hard because it's like the, you have the guy who maybe is, 
rampantly addicted to pornography or something like that deuce does something that's a more of a we'll call it a shadow sin something that's literally behind closed doors late at night well, no just no, no. Himself, right. there's a difference between visible and invisible yeah. stuff right, right. And, and that's what makes this discussion so interesting and difficult so for me though looking yeah. at that argument that's kind of the biggest objection is that there has to be a line somewhere and and i believe that saying like look you know, you, you profess to follow Christ, but here's what Christ says about how you're living and you need to change. And, and, and church, our church, you know, this is, this is the requirement for communion. I'm not necessarily saying this is my stance. I'm just saying that I, no, no, that's the best kind of, obje- that's the best yeah. objection that I've been able to come up with that argument, which will then tie into, I think, further questions that we can get into next. Um, of course, after you are allowed to know your piece on this I, side of it too. Um, but I think we that, should explore this idea a little bit more, mm-hmm, like just mm-hmm. this specific idea a little bit more like, okay, so let's dive in a little bit here. Um, the big problem that like, I mean, or at least let's explore this objection mm-hmm. is the problem is that you're living out and proud and the Bible hates gays. That more is or the, less. Pro- yeah. so the problem, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I mean, at that point, I think it's, I, you're going to run straight into the of a dilemma and says man bible hates a lot of people like i mean (laughs) like it's there's just not enough texts there like if it were something more like the bible jesus also hates rich people are we going to disenfranchise or they're not it's not an infrared are we going to discommunicate all the wealthy members from the church if they don't donate all of their wealth to the church I mean, because, I mean, that's hard biblical. That's like Jesus actually talked about that, tells every rich person he knows, give all your money away. You can't be rich and get into heaven. You can't be rich in the kingdom of God. You got to be poor. And in the Acts 2 church, like, I mean, they had communal property. If you were rich, you sold it and you gave it to the church. If you were rich, that's not your fault. You were, God has been blessing you. You need to share those blessings. Those blessings are not for you to hoard. Right now, I think that you're going to run into problems like defining what exactly is rich, and you're going to get mm-hmm. into the details of like wealth redistribution and problems like that. But that is a very that's a that's an analog, let's say, that has maybe more biblical support explicitly from Jesus <laughs> and explicitly from the way the early church was set up and meant to run more than with LGBTQ lifestyles which I mean already don't exist in the same way. Like you can have an adult consensual loving monogamous or even polyamorous. I don't know. Um, Like uh, uh, I'm not saying I'm polyamorous. I'm just saying (laughs) I am, I am, I, I'm told that from everything that I've learned about polyamory, that it is possible to have loving polyamorous relationships um, that aren't predatory. Ethical non-monogamy is, I think, the the official term. Mm. Ethical non-monogamy. But, I mean, that is a very public and explicit thing, and you could easily pick that wealth as the next reason to discommunicate someone. And it's probably even more, more, like, biblically rooted. You know what I mean? Like, but we don't like that. We have a very robust sense of personal property. In this country, we have a robust sense of, of uh, you know, like right and wrong and, and 
just earnings and also that's pretty radical and maybe we don't want to do that but i mean i think that if you want to do it in one way you should have to be consistent and like because the the argument of the objection is not that we care anything specifically about lgbtq members it's problem is is they're living in sin or they're living non-biblically or not in accordance with what what is representative change for their their mm-hmm. conversion and and so i think you could say the same thing to the rich guy and say so when you sell in your boat man church needs a new gym yeah <laughs> and if you're not willing to sell your boat then you don't get to take communion and sorry i guess like you're not a real christian and i mean like that's that sounds crazy to us but the homosexual thing like that's that's or the excuse me the mm-hmm. alternative sexuality thing is different or we treat it differently and i think they're pretty similar how do you what do you think about that yeah i i you know it's interesting because this always dovetails into like so many specific things it's talking about rich people in the gospel yes. and 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 how that interplays with our with, with our humanity and how money can be a false god and and and, and certain you know yeah you know it, it gets very very deep very quick and we could spend another hour and a half easy on that um no problem no, but, but i mean i i think i see no i see merits in that objection i guess um i thought of a more kind of succinct way to put it is basically okay. um there's it, it would be like it would be like uh let's say it's this right it's the, what their mouth is professing their, their, their hands are, are doing the exact opposite would be, would be the, the sense of it. Okay. Right. And so it would yeah. be, it would be, I would, I would personally say it would be no different than someone living like a very um, like lucrative lifestyle and flaunting Like we'll say living like a playboy sure. lifestyle. Right. Like and, ostentatiously. And, yeah. Yeah. And coming and, and presenting to the church and then, the, and then the church coming to the, I, I think it, I would hope that the church would look at that man and not just say, well, he wrote us a big check, but say like, Hey, you need to examine this. Like you need to there there and, and outline the issues with like, you profess this, but I see, you know, it looks like you're living this way and sit down and talk with them, which brings me to the biggest question. I think. Um, so we've kind okay. of presented both sides of the, the, the affirmative and the negative. So, you know, why we should yeah. maybe allow them to have communion and why we should, deny them communion. And yeah. so for me, the biggest question of this discussion comes down to this. It comes down to where is the line within Christianity where we step in and enforce certain boundaries versus letting things be up to God in the sense of I'm going to call you this way, but I cannot force you. you know, I can't, I cannot do anything about your heart. And that is up to God. And you brought that up in your argument where it's like, yeah. you know, it, it's very much a private faith. And that's always been a, this big hot button discussion within Christianity is yes. where is, I think we all agree there. Yeah. There needs to be certain kind of like boundaries and structure. Cause we know that's, that's how humans operate. And, and it's clear mm-hmm. there are certain structures and doctrines and different things like that. Um, but then we get the extra biblical doctrines and that's why we have different denominations. That's what the Jews and the Pharisees specifically had. They had extra um doctrines that were added on top of the torah law and jesus came back to the torah and things like that so to me that's kind of the big question i mean i think it might be uh i think that that's gonna depend a lot on um the the church itself like i mean the reason that we see varieties of different communities within christianity right is because everyone has a little bit different interpretation 
everyone has different comfort levels of these things. I think that you get everything from the Westboro Baptist Church all the way to like Unitarian Universalists, all coming out of the same kind of tradition. And that's that's differing hermeneutic analysis. You know what I mean? Like they have a different lens that they read the scripture through. Um, I I I, I want to say that like if you're gonna do like if you're gonna do LGBTQ plus Christians dirty like that. Like just straight, oh, based on five Bible passages, you know, that are not quite the same, talking about the same thing that you're doing. You have to, you have to just start throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Like, I think that the Bible has a problem with slavery. The Bible is a huge problem with slavery, specifically because it wasn't too long ago in this country that like it's about what 150 years ago um, that Southern Baptists were so called because they were using biblical passages from Paul, like from Paul himself, the same guy that's hating on the gays spends way more time telling slaves to obey their masters. Slaves. And I don't know very many churches that advocate slavery that advocate um, practicing owning another person as a property that can be inherited and passed down to your kids. Here's the, here's the super secret tricks that God's cool with for you tricking people into being your slaves forever because that's hard in, in, in Exodus, in Leviticus, in Deuteronomy. That's all in the same place that condemns homosexuality. It's got the same weird ritualism about um, menstruation which you know i mean there's a ton of patriarchal power dynamics as well in paul paul says a woman's not supposed to be permitted to speak in church that's that's ridiculous i mean that's that's biblical though like and paul spends way more time telling husbands to rule over their households like christ is the head of the church that I mean, that's established, established misogyny at the same time. I mean, we can whitewash it a little bit and call it gender roles or traditional values or whatever. And I'm not trying to denigrate a traditional gender role for a woman. If a woman, woman can be whatever she wants. If she wants to be a housewife and that's what she wants to do, she should be allowed to. And that should be praised because it's a hard job that is fulfilling and worthwhile. Um, However, uh, I mean, those are two glaring examples that the Bible's just, I mean, we have decided as a society that the Bible got it wrong. Got it wrong. And we are totally fine throwing those things out. But we're hung up on the sexuality thing. We're hung up real hard on that. And I don't know if it's just because alternative lifestyles are hard to understand if you're not a member of that group you know what i mean like it's hard to conceive of a thing that you don't have any reference for like i am a straight white freaking cis hat like basic you know guy and i don't have understanding for all of the different special things that 
alternative lifestyles, especially in the LGBTQ plus community, have to deal with. I have to be deferential a little bit to try and understand them before I make judgments. But I mean, I, that's just a hard, that's, that's a, a real hard dilemma because if we're going to draw lines and say that you have to draw the line somewhere, it's like, well, we threw out the slavery crap and no one gave, no, you know, no one cared at all. You threw out the misogyny, the misogyny, some churches have at least. For sure, women are allowed to talk in church, in almost every church. Mainstream Christianity, mainstream evangelical Christianity has already allowed women in leadership roles, uh, allowed them to teach, and that's very anti-biblical. Very anti-biblical. We've already done it. I don't see why we can't do it with this. Yeah. <laughs> just and we and by the way, we did it because it's it's just wrong to own another person as property. It just is. It is. Everyone right. is a child of God that deserves the same freedoms, respect, autonomy, and opportunity that everyone else gets. And practicing slavery directly um, oppresses another person very heavily. Even even if you go even if you go with like the super namby pamby oh, slaves were, slavery wasn't the same back then, blah, blah, blah. Slaves were super important people in like Greco-Roman households. They were frequently like the teachers of the children, like an educated and reliable slave was a valued member of the household. They were frequently granted their freedom, blah, blah. Even if you say all of that stuff, it still codifies and endorses slavery. And I don't know how you get around that. What do you think? Well, um, I'm not going to dive into that discussion. I will say I push back and disagree that it that it that it um, that it codifies it or it, or it affirms it. It addresses it in certain situations. I'll just plug this. A great book I read that addresses like all those weird qualms in the Bible. And this is more for the listener, but Brett, I could let you borrow my copy too. It's How Not yeah, to fine. Read the Bible by Dan Kimball, and and it, and it's a dealing with the misogynistic pro-slavery. Um, um, I, all, all the hardest parts of the Bible, but specifically when you're talking the, about Paul and Philemon, yeah, it actually the says you, you no longer have you no longer as a slave, but born as a slave and a brother. So he he addresses the basic premise is this: is that yeah, slave, but he doesn't tell him on, to free him. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. The basic premise is this within Scripture, right? God meets people where they're at, and in the sense of He meets them where they're at. And he takes them out from it. And when you actually look through with the historical context through the fact that slavery, I don't, I really don't want to get into this. So I'm just going to try and make it no, clean no, no. and let's get back to the discussion. But yeah. this is my general ob objection is that first and foremost, until about five seconds ago in the term of all of human history, slavery was finally eradicated. Slavery was also not an invention by God. It was an invention by people oppressing other people misusing other people and okay. throughout scripture you see god taking deliberate steps starting in the old testament to a give slaves personhood humanhood give them more rights and <laughs> you're one one that's that i'm just gonna that's stop 100 percent. No, no no hold on hold on more, let me, more, let me finish. i know that. He takes I'll let you it, finish. I'll let you it, finish. We have to take it in the context of this. It is an ancient barbaric culture that was very, okay. very different. Like you addressed with yeah, the homosexual, yeah. we'll say the homosexual lifestyles of today versus the pedophilic, more pedophilic homosexual lifestyles of 
of that time. Yes, we have to we have to talk about slavery within that context as well when making this comparison. I'm not saying your comparison is totally invalid and doesn't bring up important questions about exploring the scriptures about these hard topics. I'm merely pushing back a little bit on the simple fact that the Bible is clearly misogynistic, sexist, and also um, and and pro-slavery. I don't think it's pro-slavery. I think it addresses slavery and it brings humanity to those slaves and addresses slavery in such a way to 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 end it. And you see that when you explore the historical context. That's my simple pushback. I do not want to um, dive down that rabbit hole. We can we can talk about biblical slavery another time. But, we can agree uh, to disagree on that point for this episode. That's my simple pushback. Yeah, and yeah, I think, yeah, I, think I think how not to read the Bible by Dan Kimmel does a great job of like simply like he he literally goes to all the texts and and there's memes in it too um, for anyone who's interested in exploring this topic. Um, but I would just say I I disagree with 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 some of those assertions i don't disagree that slavery's in the bible but um but not in the sense of slavery the bible is condoning slavery i think the way it addresses slavery acknowledges that the slave is just as valuable in god's eyes as the master is and that the masters are supposed to treat those slaves with with respect and offer them certain rights and and privileges that were not culturally acknowledged in that time. So back to the point at hand, though, of, you know, where do we I think that's a difficult discussion to have is like, I know, but talking about what I'm saying is harping on this one single issue if we don't want to talk about those other issues, because I would agree that these other issues aren't properly addressed within the church. I'll say this from my personal experience. These issues aren't taught on very heavily. Instead, it's more of like, well, you know, the Bible's complicated. We don't understand everything as opposed to saying that's a hard question and we need to explore it and, and dive into that when, as, as far as those parts about the Bible that where it has slavery or it's telling women to be quiet in church, because I feel like the church skirts around it. And then it puts them in this precarious situation where exactly what you said is they um, is someone will look and say, well, what about these other parts of the Bible where it's being sexist or it's being um, it's it's promoting slavery, but we're going to pick on we're going to pick on the homosexuals like, hold on, that's not right. And that's and that's where I actually would agree with you on that point where it's like, if we're going to talk about this issue, we need to expand it and make sure we're not being overly nitpicky and legalistic. If that makes yeah, sense. No, no, I, I agree. But like it more to the point of since we were talking about where is the line like yeah what i think the the large question is what tools do you use mm-hmm. to decide which passages count and which passages don't count, right right which ones because as soon as as soon as you bring up like uh exodus in reference to slavery which by the way i'm sure dan kimball's book is fine i'm also sure that i am every bit as able to yeah. understand and read the biblical context better than Dan Kimball. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm just I don't saying, know Dan. Well, I, well, like I, don't, I, said, I don't know Dan Kimball, but like anyway, that's, that's I wasn't that's I wasn't necessarily directing that at you. That was more know, a, a listener plug. I because yeah. I read that book and I think it, I think it's a great establishing place for a lot of people who because because what do most people have that like it, it, it does it in a good way too. That's like easier he's, than saying, Hey, just go read it and you'll get it. Like, no, that's well, not no, no. Cool. He's trying to teach exegesis and exegesis involves taking a passage, putting it in its literary context. And like, so you're not clipping mm-hmm. things, yes. understanding the socioeconomic and historical context around the time at which mm-hmm. this, you know, the culture, like you have to do all these things to get a complete understanding of, of that. 
but my point was more just that like there are other problematic mm-hmm. texts in the Bible right. that we have thrown out. And one of them is the slavery in the Bible is real, man. It's not, there's no context that makes it any different than you own a person as property. That's what slavery is. Can't be more special, any whatever. It, their property, they can be passed down to your children as property, like your cows. Like that's 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 slavery, however nice it is. Um mm-hmm. I mean that's and that's hard to get around i don't in my mind i can't understand a context in which it's like god could have easily said no you can't own slaves here here let me provide you know, one no piece. no i mean and, and i mean i'm not i'm not gonna yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. that's i mean mm-hmm. what i'm saying is he wrote the like the, the book is the book like it mm-hmm. is it is an ancient text it is needs some interpretation and understanding of the times to get it but like also, we could, we, these are the instructions that are there, and there could have been whatever instructions. If God wanted to say, you know what, instead of saying people are going to own slaves, here's the rules to do it less bad, he could have just said, no, you can't do that. He certainly said, no, you can't do other things. He said, no, you can't wear fabrics of mixed fibers. You can't eat pork, can't eat shellfish. He had no problem telling people what not to do. So it's then conspicuous then when you don't prohibit heinous behaviors. You know what I now, mean? Like, and I mean, and this is a lot of this is in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. I will say a lot of it is in the Old Testament. I will say it, but Christianity doesn't throw out the Old Testament either. Mm-hmm. Christianity doesn't just use the New Testament. That's Let what me- I'm saying. Like, I mean, that's and so they they accept all of the Bible. It's all there. If we're gonna have to make hard choices. And we have to acknowledge that we're using extra biblical tools and extra biblical reasoning, extra meaning just not found within the Bible and outside the Bible. If we have problems there, we're using, we're reaching on other resources like historical information. We're using logic and the tools that you can learn from philosophical investigation to try and be consistent, theological tools. You're using lots of different tools to, to interpret the Bible and to decide the significance of biblical passages. And uh, I mean, you have to deal with those hard ones in some way. And, and in my mind, there's so many, like that's, that's the heart of the problem, right? Like you have to, you have to find a, a rigid, maybe not a rigid, uh, rigid is the wrong word, a robust method, right? For interpreting the scriptures and then learn, and then picking which ones are more and less important, right? Understanding that the Bible is a complicated book. We don't have original copies. There are errors in it for, through hand trans, like hand copying. And like, there's, there's, this is the, the Bible we have is our best guess based on the surviving examples of things that we have. So understanding that too, like, I mean, there is some leeway. We have some agency in deciding which parts of the Bible we take as meaningful. And when we have that ability, I, understanding that there's also no context for an LGBTQ lifestyle in the Bible, maybe we need to do some exegesis and interpretation and throw out the, the, the very brief New Testament mentions, which, mind you, are usually like one or two verses. Um, they're not explicit teaching sections like on baptism or on, 
like, you know, how to live in a good marriage or how to, how to let, like, you know, how to do this or don't do that. Like, I mean, there's significant portions of teaching where Paul is explaining the hard theology, the like concrete theology of, of how Jesus interacts with Jewish law and what creates a new, a new, a new commandment, a new covenant that starts there and it fulfills the old one. And like, he spends eons, the entire book of Galatians is about that. And we get six verses in the New Testament about, about homosexual acts. And the rest are from the Old Testament. And where they are in the Old Testament, you could easily, easily write off because we skipped a bunch of verses right around there. We don't stone witches to death anymore. I mean, we don't, we don't, we don't, like, I'm wearing a cotton polyblend shirt. Like, I mean, those, we've chosen to ignore those because those rules, the context which they were relevant is not our context. So they cease to be relevant. And, and I that think actually, that, that actually is part of the point that plays into the discussion around slavery. I'm not going to get yeah. into, um, yeah. and actually, um, but crap, I had something, uh, no, I'll give I you a second. Oh, sorry. No, 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 you're good. I, you know, there, there may be personal disagreements and some of the, some of the details of that statement, but I think the yeah. sentiment I come back to is, is this right. The Bible is, and intentionally so, the Bible is not clear on more things than it is clear on, if that yeah. makes sense, right? It is, it is murky more than it's clear. It's like an Oklahoma lake, not like a mountain lake, okay? That thing, is, <laughs> that thing is dirty brown water, okay? In the sense of, in yeah. the sense of, and this is, um, so I listened to this podcast that provides a more Eastern perspective on uh, biblical texts. Um, when you say Eastern, cool. what do you mean? Like he's, he, it coming from the, the rabbinical, the Jewish side of things, if you will, looking at it through the, through the Jewish context Let me, to just say this is he, he looks at the, um, oh, what's it called? What's it called? The, what are the rabbinical teachings? The Talmud? That, no, it, not well Talmud, but it's, um, there's a term, there's a word anyways, it'll come to me, but he, um, I forgot. Yeah, there's a lot of rabbinical, this. there's a lot of rabbinical texts and the Eastern traditions, especially from like um like a lot of there's persian christians mm -hmm. persian christianity eastern orthodoxy stuff yeah. that came out of like antioch and um edessa and like oh, armenia stuff like that it. it was the it, it, the midrash um and he talks oh, about yeah. how the basic understanding of scriptures is that yes there are some things like clear that are clear in the sense of we like 10 certain 10 commandments clear right no other gods before me you shall not murder yeah. those sort of things and it's like okay we know that I'm not supposed to kill people, but then how does that, how do we specifically implement that within our current society under, yeah. under the terms, right? We know the morality, but we don't know all the legality and the specifics. And, it, and the term is used as a binding and loosing. And it's actually designed, it's designed in such a way that, you know, we, we take, we take God's word, we take the scripture and um, things it's not clear on. And the, pur the, the purpose and part of the design is to do what we're doing here is to discuss okay. the merits of the scripture. We look at the text, we discuss yeah. the text, we discuss, okay, how does that get implemented? We're not always given the exact implementation of every single issue, particularly in our modern age today. I'm not saying that the answers can't be found there and that, that it's lacking, but I'm just saying part of that is is left up to us to kind of work that out a little bit with each other. Um, and, and I think that's, that's kind of, um, and that's what we're doing here. Right. Yeah, so you gotta work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Mm -hmm. Right. So we, you know, I think we kind of agree though. That's kind of the big question though, is like, 
is, is there's that, there's that standard of, I mean, you obviously went the route of like, look, we've done away with other stuff. And so we can kind of do away with this. I personally kind of disagree with that on some certain nitpicky stuff, at least that language. I wouldn't say that, but I would I mean, say, I would say we have, it hasn't I'll, been handled well. Um, it hasn't been handled well. And, and I think that the church could do better as, as approaching, we'll say LGBTQ uh, plus issues. community yeah. and, and issues. And, and, and that one has been harped on particularly because it comes back to the visibility of it. So um, a couple other just questions, I'll rapid fire okay. and as, we, cool. as we finish working through this and then we'll get to our concluding statements. Yeah. So that was the first one, right? It was like, we have standards practice, a general structure. And so we don't want to become legalistic like the Pharisees. So where do we come you know, so, so where, what, what's, where's the rub? How do we handle this is okay. more of the question instead of like, do we deny or allow? It's actually like, is that the way that we even should look at handling this or should we handle it a different way? Cause I, my, my personal conclusion is that it should be handled differently. Um, and it's, I'm also like a not separate, but equal communion. <laughs> yes, exactly. A hundred percent. You nailed it. Look, look. All right. Uh, <laughs> Look, separate, but equal. No, dude, I'm, it's I, neither. <laughs> exactly. That's I, I, per, But on a side note, I love just making that joke, like overtly being sarcastic, but because it's just so yeah. silly. But anyways, um, a, another question that came up or thought that came up that I wrote in okay. my notes was at the same time, it, it, it comes back to that love question, right? That love okay. and that truth in, in sort of, are we compromising truth and actually being unloving if we're, you know, allowing certain things. And then a couple of short questions would be rejecting from someone communion, be ultimately sort of rejecting them from the church or at least that specific church group. And should we, uh, should we reject, if we are going to say reject them or not allow this, should that be done openly, almost more publicly, like in the sense of they try and come up and you're like, no, or, or should that be something that is, that is, a, or should this issue as a whole be addressed privately? Um, and, um, <laughs> So that's that's kind of the rapid fire questions following up okay. our shift to that to that kind of crux of the issue. That those All are just right. thoughts that came to my head. Feel free to kind of discuss where you want to discuss. All right. Um, it was a lot. What was what was the first? What was that first question? Well, they're, they're not all these are questions. They're more statements exploring thoughts, right? So, yeah. Uh, it, the no, first one, he, first one was in line with the first question was like, where's the line? Like, what do we enforce? What don't we enforce? How do we take this from the Bible and then extrapolate yeah, okay, it on okay. church? And you've already yeah. kind of touched on that. I think personally, I think you, that, that was the last 10 minutes was about really. Yeah. I mean, I really think that really you, you have to, if you're going to do that, that, that becomes, um, that's what gives the variety of, um, religious expression that we have mm -hmm. or re religious experiences with different communities. Ultimately, I think that, yeah, maybe it's to each church community to decide how they want to deal with it. So some churches can be open and affirming. I think that's the language that they use now, right? Like yeah. if you're if you're very, very accepting of LGBTQ plus um, individuals um, and some churches cannot. And if you want, if you are. Um, if you are moved to a side by this divisive issue, there is a community for you. Mm -hmm. if that you makes can, sense right like oh yeah you just like there's kjv only bible churches mm -hmm. you know what i mean like oh we only do kjv none of them other translations those are not those are not right and then you got calvinist churches and wesleyan churches and churches that you can't drink and churches that practice on saturdays not sundays and i mean those are all different things and i think maybe you'd have to ask yourself are is this a 
uh, a plurality of Christianity. Right. Uh, do you understand what I mean? Like in the mm-hmm. very sense of like, there's not a wrong here. There is the church that you go to and yeah. your church, your individual community can be, um, can think that they are in the right or the wrong, or at the very least they are recognizing that they are attempting to live out their, the, 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 the lifestyle of, of the Christian mission um, in the best way that they can and that they are not necessarily one is not necessarily better than the other. You have to respect the other. I mean, I, I think the hard part is that um, you, while, while you, you kind of make, you know, your own church in that sense. And that, that gets us to a very lukewarm, tepid place where every church is fine there's yeah. not right answers. That doesn't solve the the real key question that I think that you were really posing, which is, yeah. are are we seeking truth? Is this loving? Like, I mean, mm-hmm. is this is how are we making progress here? There has to be a definitive answer, right? At some place, there is a definitive answer, whether we know it or not, right? Like, and that definitive answer may just be on the deity's side, where he knows what he feels about it. He just hasn't. <laughs> Deigned to give to help us out with that. Maybe right. it's a part of the struggle. Maybe it's a part of the the, the plan. You know, I mean, we can wait, hand wave that away as much as we can. But like, I I kind of also want to know. Like, my my next question is: Well, we have to draw a line. We have to do this somewhere. We gotta, you know, we have to we have to call out sin. Like, I mean, do you though? Like, if if that person is in. A healthy psycho, like I mean, I think you could, we could have a different discussion about that. But like, it's in a healthy psychosocial place, like, and they're in a loving and supporting relationship. I kind of am looking for harm, too. Like, who is harmed by that person? Is anyone harmed by that person? I can understand if you're engaging in risk behaviors, right? Like a lot of the behaviors that are prohibited explicitly in the new testament are are sometimes interpreted as being risk reductors you know what i mean like don't go out go out and get drunk all the time like don't go out and like don't food poison yourself like don't do this don't do that like it's a there's don't go to the orgies no (laughs) don't go to the orgies we're not for that like uh, i mean or or there's some perceived harm right and in in many contexts, I don't see perceived harm. Like some contexts, certainly, you can always describe a situation that's negative, and you would want your community to come in and step in and help you escape a negative scenario. But being gay, and that's the way that you are, I don't know if you're helping that person at all. You're not being loving to that person at all to exclude them. Which I think leads me to the next question I think you brought up is, should this be a question about church membership and not communion? And I think that based on the way that I think we've just kind of described communion is the, in this discussion is that for sure, I think that really you have to decide whether, and to use the technical Catholic term, excommunicate someone or allow them to participate in, in communion. You're either part of the group or you're not part of the group. You're either included or excluded. There's none of this tepid middle ground crap where, yeah, I guess you're a Christian, but 
we treat you super different and we really don't include you and we make you modify your whatever as long as it's not you know like conforms to all of the best you know standards of, of propriety but like being gay does not violate like social impropriety rules like i mean like that it, just being a gay person like no it's just a person and you don't help them and you're not helping your community and you're not helping like i want to know what the harm is like where's the where is the harm and if the yeah. harm is just the Bible says, well, then we go back to the other discussion about the Bible advocates for a lot of things that are certainly more harmful than that, than the specific context. And maybe it is a, a legalistic, maybe we need to do some midrash, which I think right. just means interpretation, by the way, in Hebrew. But um, just know. do some exp exploration. Oh, well, maybe we just need to be more clear in our definitions. What we mean is mm -hmm. like some of the open and affirming churches say where it's more about like, I mean, what, how are you practicing your alternative lifestyle? Not you're practicing an alternative lifestyle. You have to change. Right. Um, the last, the last thing I had is that really this all seems like a very, very fixated discussion about sexual practices in general. And as we all know, the Bible is obsessed with sex. It is. It's just riddled with, with um, a lot of stories about um, sexually moral and immoral persons. And that goes back to a lot of things. S sexuality is so deeply rooted within our human experience and our consciousness. And um, the way that we interact with, with, with our romantic partners, that like, it is a very basic human thing. So it, it's natural that, that the Bible is going to focus a lot on human sexuality because it deals with human people. That being said, uh, I mean, there, as long as we're conforming to, to maybe more general biblical um, sexual mores i think that that might be a way forward like mm -hmm. okay like maybe the church can modernize a little bit and say yeah you can you can you can have whatever partner you want but like you don't need to be adulterous or whatever that means you know what i mean or we need to modify this as in a way of saying we need to we need to be positive and uplifting and and um progressive with our relationships, they should be an iron sharpens iron thing. We should have true partnerships. We should have like love and trust and safety and all these things, the things that we want for our marriages, right? Open communication. Like you need to be equally yoked. You need to have your stuff on the same page. You need to like be supportive of one another. You need to um, be driving each other to be better. You know what I mean? Like things like that. And that, I mean, the Bible is full of those passages too. I don't know why the, we couldn't easily group them there other than it's just not a super frequent um, thing. I mean, like, so the overwhelming majority of human people are straight. Yeah. And so by default, almost just in terms of raw frequency of, of expression of alternative lifestyles, they're going to be in the margins and in the minority and going to seem different and weird. And that's hard for us to cope with. Yep. There was a time, if we all remember, 
that all the Christians were treated as this weird cult. And everyone thought they were super weird, like kind of worshipped this magic guy. Like it was it was it was seen as very cultish and insular and like a bizarre behavior. And they were scapegoated for burning Rome to the ground when Nero played the fiddle and so many other different things. And that led to persecution. And I don't think that that's I don't think that Christianity as a whole should emulate the sins of other rising people just because they're different. Not with a, such a loving and accepting Jesus that we all can read about and claim to to know about. Um, that's kind of those are kind of my thoughts on those two things. Those things you brought up is like, I mean, there has to be a way. Maybe you just need to literally define the rules. Maybe it just yeah. needs to be a thing that is maybe idiosyncratic church church, but then. He, you know, then you have to acknowledge that maybe there's not a monopoly on truth mm-hmm. and there's not one way, there's multiple ways. And that's, that's also is not very biblical. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, I like what you said about the, cause that's for me, that's kind of what this whole discussion has come back to is that, well, this is a fun thought experiment. I think once you kind of dig into it, it's almost like in some ways, I think where maybe the question is just off now, while it's a question, because this question came from a real life experience. That's what brought yeah. up the question. I didn't just think of this, but I think the question then that was that was acted upon in a certain way from the real life experience I pulled from. To me, I'm like, I maybe it's just off. I really like what you said about maybe it's more of a question of church membership, meaning communion is for the members of this church. And then first there's the filter of the membership. This is, you know, this is what we believe for membership. And as opposed to you know, just like everyone can come and, but then you're sitting there almost like, how do you, mm-hmm. how do you, how do you even police that? Right. So, I mean, um, do you have to ID people before exactly. they get like <laughs> swipe your card, get your communion? <laughs> right, right, right. And that's, and that's where too, I think when you look at, when I, when I Googled this subject, all the articles were from there, it was Catholic related, Catholic already. Cause like you said, it's a, like, it's a part of the, it's a, it's a sacrament, part of the Eucharist, right? Something like that. And no, it's uh, one of the seven sacraments. Yeah, exactly. And so it's like a very, with marriage. Would, would, yeah. Would, is it very, would, would liturgist be the right word type of ritual? Maybe not liturgist, oh. but it's, but it's a very sacred ritual. That's, that's not, it's not, it's thought of differently than it is in say evangelical or Protestant Christianity oh. in certain respects, in the sense of like how legalistic it is you know there's, there's a lot of, of tradition it. built around yes. i mean in all the high church high liturgy churches mm-hmm. like lutherans episcopalians presbyterians um anglicans um eastern orthodox churches russian orthodox churches greek orthodox churches catholic churches i mean there's just a, a more of a ritualistic i mean um framework built around yeah. that activity and mm-hmm. but it is one of the core um like sacraments, the, mm-hmm. the seven holiest practices that you can do. One of them is being a priest. So immediately, yeah, and priests have to be celibate. Um, yeah. So you immediately can't do all of them. And not everyone's a priest. Yeah, only if you select few. Yeah. So, all right. I mean, really, like, I guess in closing, in conclusion, um, like this is just one of many problems that we encounter in our life, right? Like, I mean, and especially when you start talking about anything really nitty gritty, technical, kind of, it can get, you know, rub people the wrong ways. Um, you know, we're going to have to, this is a problem. This is a problem that we have to solve. And whenever I kind of hit one of these, 
one of these things. I'm not sure what I, what I think about it. Like maybe I need to figure out my own thoughts on this issue or something like that. Typically what, what I have to lean on is one, all the things I already know. Like you have to be honest about what things you already know that may include, um, uh, an analysis of your current positions. Maybe you need to go do some house cleaning. And um, because my thoughts and you know can change, your feelings change based on the experiences that you had. You may approach problems differently later after you've had different life experience. You know, I mean, we all we all have those kind of things that happen. Like, um, but in general, I am here trying to seek the truth, right? Like we all are trying to find the truth. I mean, that can be capital T truth, that can be things, but in general, another way of saying that if, you, if you're not some kind of weird, like um, universal truth type person, um, I care about believing true things. I want all of my ideas and beliefs to be true. False ideas and beliefs do not help me. They don't help many people. Because they don't give us, you know, reliable um, and effective methods for dealing with the problems that we have in the world. If you have a unreliable speedometer, it can get you in some trouble. And so I want all of, and that's a tool, not a belief, I suppose. But like, I mean, if I think I'm going 55 and I'm actually going 70. It matters whether that belief is true or not. It matters a whole lot to the cop that's going to pull me over. <laughs> uh, uh, and you can dispute, oh, I'm a sorry officer. I was doing 55. It's like, you were not. You were doing 70. And then where do you go from here? That is a discussion that you have to have now about reliable methods for measuring speed. All the, this metaphor is going to get really tortured if I keep doing it. Um, <laughs> but uh, I care about believing true things. I want to believe true things. In order to believe true things, you have to be rigorous in your analysis. You have to be willing to do work and challenge assumptions and explore new ideas. You have to explore them with as unbiased an approach as possible. And I try to do that every time. I try and look at exactly like we did here, where we said, okay, I don't know, like maybe we don't know what we think about this. Let's go do some hard thinking and explore the space. For what may or may not feel right or what principles can we engage with what are we trying to do um after that you have to acknowledge that you may not get all the right answers you said earlier that the bible is a murky lake it very much is a runoff flooded river that you can't even see two feet in it is all over the place sometimes and you have to discern and build tools to interpret passages and or interpret these problems and encounter them in a way that can get you to where you want to be. Um, where I like to be is in a place that is, um, in general, benefited out for most people. I am more willing and more apt to be accepting than I am to be um, exclusionary in terms of other opinions, whatever. And that's because I have to keep myself open because I want to believe true things. And I have to acknowledge that I don't know everything, which is hard for me sometimes. I know guts. Um, <laughs> but saying I don't know is becoming easier. 
saying you don't know is not a negative thing. Saying yeah. you're not sure what you're thinking, you have to do more thinking, is I think the most intellectually honest and the most praiseworthy intellectual position to have sometimes. But sometimes we need extra stuff. Sometimes we need to look at historical context. Sometimes we need to use tools of logic, tools of, uh, of secular sources too. I mean, I don't have a monopoly on truth and I don't have a monopoly on information and I have to be open to finding new stuff. Second, you have to you get a method for organizing this information. Some of that is going to have, involve evaluating sources, evaluating, you know, all the standard, the standard crap that you do to determine whether information itself might be reliable. But those tools in turn, like understanding logical fallacies when I'm making arguments, understanding when people are using rhetoric or playing on emotions rather than necessarily approaching something dispassionately with a cold light of reason. Um, and those extra tools help separate us from our initial biases, from our upbringing, for the like the traditional way that you were brought up. You've always brought up thinking something. As soon as you have challenging ideas, you want to pull away from those ideas. And instead, maybe we need to use some of our intellectual toolbox to disconnect from the way we originally feel about it, go really dive in and give an honest shake to another opinion, and ask ourselves. Is it really is it really incompatible with where we are? Is it really incompatible with advocating for the well-being of thinking and feeling creatures? Because that's what what I see is is we need to be focused on is focused on doing good and right, not necessarily being good and right. You know, if that makes sense, if that mm -hmm. distinction makes sense, like I'm more concerned with doing those things and and i think that maybe jesus would agree with us here is that like i mean thinking you're right can only get you so far you actually got to go out and do right you actually got to go out and live right i mean he looked at a lot of pharisees that were right and told them they weren't living right and it may be the case that on this issue we land in a place where like man you know what yeah some of the some of, there's some bad bible passages about about homosexuality issues um but you know what? We've decided that that's not that big of a deal for, for stuff. We need to love those people more. You know what? We've changed our mind about some things. We don't live in a world that is as scared, as hateful, as negative towards alternative lifestyles as the late Bronze Age. Um, we don't live in a, we live in a, we live in a world that has like embraced religious, um, freedoms and embraced and respected another person's right to practice their own religious um, experience in the way that they, they find best. And I, I think that that is markedly different maybe than like the, the upheaval that we see in the Bible sometimes, or at least in biblical era cultures, like the like ancient Near Eastern Mediterranean world or in the first century BC you know, I mean, you just, there's just a different world and understanding that sometimes the map that they were using then is not going to map one-to-one -one in our current world. And we have to do our best to, I don't know, just do our best. Um, 
that's in, in general, I, I, I kind of like to explore the space a little bit too. Like I really do like to really engage with all of these other ideas. It's, it's interesting to think about and it has changed the way I think about a lot of things, um, specifically with reference to the Bible. I mean, it's going to feel weird to say, yeah, we're cutting out parts of the Bible or we're ignoring them, but we do. I'm honest in saying that we do. Saying that this passage or that passage is, well, it's actually, you have to understand the context, I think is, 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 is a little bit intellectually dishonest. <laughs> it's, uh, if you explain away a problem to get to the same place as I did when I just ignored that passage, we got to the same place. Neither of us think slavery is okay. Both of us think women are people and have rights. So I just am honest about saying I ignore that part of the Bible. That bar Bible is wrong. And it's wrong for different reasons, maybe for each of us, but we both say that, well, slavery is not ideal. We shouldn't do that. I don't think God's for slavery. Um, and, 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 and you go from there, man. Like, I mean, no understanding that nobody has a monopoly on truth and that I'm just trying to believe as many true things as I can is, is, is a good way to be. And if you just keep that focus forward on, on, you know, always learning, never being afraid to say, I don't know all that. I mean, I think you can get to a place where you're comfortable with your own thoughts on a lot of hard, complicated issues. Also understanding that sometimes things are real hard and throwing your hands up and saying, it's a crapshoot. Sometimes it is. <laughs> um, but those are kind of my closing thoughts. Like we, I think that we need to have intellectually honest discussions about these things and figure out, you know, where the harm is, where the, where the good is, where the right is, where the true is, where the justice is, and look at those things. And that's going to line up nicely with most of the sentiments in the New Testament. You know, um, Paul, at the same time as he says all these terrible, awful things about women, um, he, or whatever, or his really, really, really uh, over-the-top, like, extremist views about being celibate which is not for everyone. And the Bible does not necessarily advocate for. Um, Paul also just does say, you know, you find out whatever, whatever the nobility is, whatever the true things are, whatever the good things are, whatever the things that are praiseworthy, not blameworthy, that are good, loving, right, hopeful, and um, positive, focus and think on those things, not the negative stuff. Not all the other stuff. This is not about hate. It is about focusing on being the best, most noble in thought and action people we can be with the best guidance of reason and our understanding of the world that we have. Um, and that's kind of where I, I think we, I leave things. And I would I would really second the the sentiment behind that on seeking seeking truth at the expense of me possibly being wrong or have something yes. totally wrong because I I can say and I'm sure you agree is that when you take that honest position of saying I'm willing to be wrong, life gets a lot easier. Like oh yeah, it's in terms of like then if you're totally wrong about something, yeah, it can be frustrating, but it's not world shattering. And and I think that's something that plagues our societies. People are so adverse to being like, I'm not right. I'm not right. Or, or I'm, you know, I'm not wrong. And that 
you they go into heavy cognitive dissonance when they all when there's something that comes up against mm-hmm. what they thought was true but maybe isn't exactly true or yeah. totally false and um that's i mean that's really kind of the pursuit of this whole podcast so i would just agree with you in saying that um you know i, I think that's important for everyone to do i think we il- did a good job illustrating that here today so um all i'll say is um, and you didn't, you didn't overtly say it, and I'm not going to overtly come out and really say, uh, I kind of have a better idea of where I might stand on this issue, mm-hmm. but sometimes, like you said, it's sometimes it's a bit of a crapshoot and I don't have a solid, you know, comprehensive. I'm not, yeah. I'm not, view. I'm not, I'm not, this isn't concrete and I'm not like, this is exactly right. And here's X, Y, and Z, Y. But I think I learned a lot from this discussion and I feel like I got closer to seeing the truth and at least how to approach this situation. And I hope the listeners did too. So I'll say yeah. that. I think this was a great exercise. And I think this is uh, hopefully a decent example of what uh, more people can, uh, <laughs> of that you can have these sort of discussions and it's okay. And you don't yeah. want to be, you won't be at each other's throat. And I mean, if we weren't over Zoom, we would realistically sit down, have dinner and have a beer right after this, yeah. like nothing yeah. happened, right? Or uh, something well, I mean, like that, right? The listeners may not know, but we've been having these types of discussions. Exactly. <laughs> like, exactly. This, is, this is every time we get together mm-hmm. in our family at holidays, at Christmas, mm-hmm. at Easter, when we're there for Mother's Day. There's some kind of there's some Something kind of friendly, up. friendly, dis- friendly mm-hmm. discussion, and we have learned the ways to have fun with it communicate and learn from each other and also be very different because listeners also don't know that you invited your older bleeding heart liberal commie pinko democrat <laughs> brother onto your podcast to have a discussion mm-hmm. about a hot button topic and yep. it was fun we had a good time yeah and i think <laughs> i think that's really what i want this overall message to be and i think i hope that people took away from this is that look we is that when you approach something with that genuine, I think kind of like you said, benefit of the doubt attitude, Yeah. Uh, whether you realize it or not, people pick up on that. And like, and that's why we can sit down is because I think every, every time we have these discussions, whether it's you and me, you and dad, me and dad, whatever, that's always that we, there's an understanding that that is the place. And so I would just hopefully encourage people that you can, you can have these kind of talks. So I think it was a great discussion. I don't think we can't, we didn't come to a definitive answer. And sometimes I think it's a sign of the best discussion because yeah. then we don't get caught up trying to defend a singular position. So, right. uh, well, thanks for coming on, Brett. I yeah, uh, appreciate it. And, um, hopefully we'll get to do more of these in the future and oh, knows, yeah. maybe build out its own show or something. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Until next time, guess. Well, there you have it, folks. What a talk. And went a lot of different ways, but we managed to more or less stay on topic because, you know what, typically things are more complicated than not. And so while we want simple answers to simple problems, I think this very topic, a very specific question, proved just how complex things and intertwined things are with one another and bringing different things into the issue. But one thing that I appreciated about this conversation, while we brought in other aspects of the Bible, Christianity, life, we stayed on the topic at hand because you can't just work within that vacuum. You have to look at it in the broader perspective and context. And it was a great discussion. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got something out of it. If you want to come on and discuss a topic, you are more than welcome to, and we're going to, and we can do it in this similar debate like format. Let me know if you like the, the fact that we never really showed our full hand, at least outright, you can probably guess 
where we stand, but even so, more or less where we stand, but it wasn't, well, I believe this and I believe this. All right, let's talk about it, which would be fine, but it was more of we both explored both sides of the issue. So uh, let me know, though, what your thoughts are. If you like this, you want to see more of these, any topic ideas that you would like to hear Brett and I discuss um, as we're working through and we're looking through. And I think we've got a good idea for a format that we'll, we'll introduce and we'll be able to tighten some things up because it was our first time. So it maybe was a little convoluted, a little confusing, a little slow at times. But I think all in all, it was good. Once again, thank you, thank you, thank you, Brett, for being willing to come on. And to anyone and everyone who's willing to come on and share their, their opinions, their thoughts, and who are, willing, who are just open-minded, seeking truth. Because I think that's what we're here doing on this podcast. We keep an open mind. We seek truth. We're opinionated. And we hold our opinion. But we are willing to have our minds change because ultimately we are seeking capital T truth. And that is why, specifically with Brett and I, I always frame it as we're both reasonable people. I mean, we can be reasoned with. Our minds can be changed. And so, yeah, that, that'll do it, for, though, for this episode. A different Friday, not a blessing from tragedy, but a, but a brotherly discussion is what I'll call it. Uh, I also want to hear your ideas and, and, and anything and everything on fun, uh, fun names for the series or if it should be its own podcast. I'm playing with both ideas. Let me know if you want to come on and discuss. You are more than welcome to. Please reach out. Be sure to share this episode. Uh, go follow us on social media. Stay in contact. You can DM me that way. You can leave a voicemail down below. I'll put a couple links in the description uh, below. Just uh, I mentioned a book a couple times, How Not to Read the Bible, one I read, and I might even, I did a whole episode breaking that book down. I um, And I'll just put some other links to a couple articles that I kind of reference and then uh, so on and so forth. But I encourage you, go research this on your own. Um, and what conclusions do you have? I want to know your thoughts. So that'll do it for this episode, though. It was a doozy. I appreciate you taking the time to strap in for this long haul. But I think episodes like this are worth the time spent. I don't like being strapped with we only have 20 minutes. We only have 30 minutes. We were able to flesh out the ideas and really hear full fledged points because it's life turns out life's a lot more complex. It's not so simple. But that'll do it for me. Have a great weekend. We'll see you right here next week. Um, appreciate you listening and being a part of the Hanyak Horde. And uh, let me know just your thoughts on what you want to call this. If you want to see more of these or please send in really send in topic ideas to discuss. We need topic ideas. I don't know how often we'll do these episodes, but every so often we'll drop one in and we might even end up making it its own series. So that'll do it for me, though. We'll see you later right here next time on the Rambling Viking. This is your head Hanyak signing off. <laughs>